So today, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And we're going to be concluding our Storm of Life series this morning, talking about some of the most painful storms that we can get into in life. And that has to do with relationship storms and relational storms. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine this week. He's a full-time pastor in a bigger church. And and he told me that he doesn't know if he could be bivocational like me. And I said, why is that? He said, it's just, it sounds exhausting. And I said, I said, yeah, but you're one of these guys that has to subscribe and buy all these books to get sermon illustrations. I said, I have sermon illustrations every day at work that I can come up with and share with you. And I was reminded as I was preparing for this sermon of a, a gentleman I used to work with, we'll call him Steve, and Steve was one of these guys that could never get relationships right. And Steve's problem is that he fell in love way too fast. Typically, it would go something like this. Steve would go on a first date. And then the whole next shift, I got to hear about how this is the one. This is the one I'm going to marry. He's going, we're going to have kids. We're going to have a great life, a big house, all this kind of thing. And I would listen to this, the entire shift of how him and this, this girl was going to be his wife and everything. And Second date would roll around, and he was even more in love now. And he said, and he would be texting her the entire shift, and little emojis of "I love you" and all this kind of thing, and and just expressing his affection and and love and everything for this woman. And third date would roll around. Now he's starting to ask a couple questions. Now he's like, you know, she did this thing the other day that I just really didn't like, or she said something that I didn't agree with, and I can't believe that that this wonderful woman I fell in love with is, is now um, talking like this or now thinking like this, and she never showed me this before. And I'm kind of like, well, you never gave her a chance. <laughs> but, yeah, so now by the fourth date, this little thing back here has now grown into this huge, huge issue with them, and now he's trying to figure out a way to get out of the relationship. And he's asking me for help. He doesn't want to break her heart. He still cares for her. But obviously... John, this woman is a mess and you have to help me get out of this. And I said, well, Steve, maybe you're the mess and she's just a person. But Steve is an example of a person who has difficulties in relationships. And Steve was often tossed and turned by the emotions and the different things that go on in relationships that came his way. Many of us can be like that, too. Now, not all of us obviously fall in love in 30 seconds like Steve did, but when we do fall in love, when we do start to care for people, whether it's through friendship or whether it's through family or whether it's through romantic relationships, those relationships, when we have problems, they really hit us right in the gut, don't they? And today we're going to talk about those gut-wrenching storms that we can go through in life. And the reason that a storm in our relationship can be so devastating is because the closer the relationship, the more your own emotional well-being is dependent upon that person. And as we all know, emotions can be a messy thing. Anytime we open our heart to somebody else, we take that risk of that person hurting that heart that we've given them. With all of this, the first thing that we should focus on is that God himself is a relational being. And we are made in his image to be relational beings. 
You can see this attribute of God of being relational throughout, or relational throughout all of creation. You see it even in the inanimate part of creation. You see that there is relationship between even the most basic um, foundations in life. Atoms have relationships with each other. Um, protons have relationships with electrons and neutrons. Even going down everything, even in the planets, the relationship of the planets with their stars. Everything in creation even in the physical realm, has relation with one another. And we see this also in living creation between in the different animal species. And most of the animals on this earth live in some type of community. Human beings being the highest level of creation on this earth were designed by our crea creator to live in relational community with one another. God is all about relationships. In fact, when God created humanity... It says that he created the male and then had this to say about the male that he created. In Genesis 2.18, it says that the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Father, as we go into this message and this teaching about relationships, that you would help us to evaluate in our own heart how good of a relational partner we are, no matter what aspect of relation we're talking about, whether it's family, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, whatever the relationship is, help us to evaluate how good we are at sharing our lives with others and how willing we are to forgive those who might even throw stones at us sometimes. Lord, we ask, Father, that your word be accomplished and your will be accomplished in this message. We ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning we're going to explore today how to deal with relationship problems. And to do that, let's set a little bit of a foundation for the different kind of relationships that we have. Relationships are very important. In fact, in your bulletin there is a quote in there. It's from Benjamin Franklin, uh, one of our founding fathers. And he's quoted to saying this about relationships. When he said, be very slow in choosing your friends and even slower about leaving them. And this is true no matter how superficial or how deep a relationship is. And the big idea that we want to explore today is that our lives have never been met to be lived alone. We are always called to live in some type of community with others through varying levels of relationship. And I know for some people, you need some people need relationships more than others. Some people are very introverted, and we don't, we don't hang around people a lot. I was so much like this as a kid. My dream was to make enough money where I could buy a, a section of land out in Montana with a lake on it and a small cabin and live there my entire life with my closest neighbor five miles away. That's how introverted and shy I was growing up. And I still carry a little bit of that with me today in, in being a natural introvert. But I've also come to realize that if God gave me that dream, I would never grow. If God gave me that dream, I could never be used for his kingdom living as some crazy hermit back in the woods. I would never be able to fulfill his kingdom purpose. Because our God is all about relationships. Relationships are central to his character. You can see the importance of relationships just by looking at God himself. 
God himself exists as a relational being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see three people within this one Godhead. We'll explore that a little bit later this fall. We're, I'm thinking about going through our um, 16 fundamental truths of our fellowship where we'll talk about the Trinity. And it's one of those things that, that no matter what, you just kind of have to accept it as a biblical truth because you'll never be able to wrap a finite brain around an infinite principle. But you don't see a more perfect relationship than you see within the Trinity. They all exist as one. And since God is a relational God, when he created us in his image, he imprinted that need to live in relationship into us. That is why he said, it is not good for a man to be alone or for a woman to be alone. And that's why God says the same thing to you and me this morning. It is not good for you to be alone. The authors in the New Testament even double down on that when they tell us, do not forsake the assembling one to another. Do not forsake us coming together as people of like-minded faith so that we can be encouraged and, and we can help each other grow in the things of this faith. I would illustrate why community and relationships are important like this. You and I are kind of like plants, and other people are the water that helps make us grow. Let me continue that illustration a little. You ever have a neighbor or, or be driving down the road and you're looking at somebody's lawn and it's like they never take care of anything? They don't even mow it. And they'll have a couple of really scraggly bushes in the front yard that may have looked beautiful one time, but now they have shoots here and shoots here and it just looks like something out of a creepy movie. Now what if I were to walk up to that bush and say, Mr. Bush, can I just take my shears here and start trimming pieces of you off because I want to make you beautiful again. Well, if that, if that bush was sentient and could talk, he'd tell me, get lost, weirdo. Who are you to, to trim me? However, if I had planted that bush and I owned that bush and I took care of that bush, I would be able to go out there anytime I wanted and say, hey, let me, let me just kind of shape you a little bit. Let me take care of you. Let me put some water and some nutrients into the ground around you and just trim you up a little bit so you could be as beautiful as you possibly can be. You see, that's the value of relationships to us, is we get to make each other beautiful. When we come into relationship with one another, we give each other permission that on occasion, we don't have to do it all the time, but on occasion, we can help each other get trimmed up and look beautiful before God our Savior and to this world he has called us to witness to. And that's the major reason that God wants us to live lives that are relational with other people. People of like-minded faith are the shears he uses to trim away the wild areas of our life. That's the importance of relationship. But we're talking about the storms that come into a relationship. So what happens when things go south? What happens when those relationships start butting heads or, or people start actually becoming angry or even developing negative feelings toward one another? Well, let's answer that by looking at a couple of the few different kind of relationships that are out there. I look at, a, at our relationships of having three levels. The first one is an acquaintance. An acquaintance is kind of like that neighbor you see once or twice a year. Um, it may be 
uh, waiter or waitress at the wet restaurant you always go to. Tammy and I have acquaintances down at Sunflower because we go there a lot and, and we, we're developing relationships with several of the people there, but they would still be probably at the acquaintance level. We don't know them that well, but we do have good conversations with them. An acquaintance, though, is somebody that if they were to suddenly stop being in your life, it's not going to be as big of a deal to you. It's, it might be a small conversation until something more important came up, like the weather. You know, I mean, something. It, it's not going to be something that really rocks you if, if they fall out of your life. However, the next level of a relationship is a friend. There are probably several different levels here, but for the most part, a friend is a person you would call on if you needed a favor. It'd be a, somebody you would call on to talk to about a problem you have. It would be somebody that you are trusting with some intimate details within your life. Somebody you would go to to just hang around and that you enjoy being around. The main difference between an acquaintance and a friend is that you make an emotional investment in your friends, and you expect the same from them in return. If people are close friends, these are the ones that you share the deep things with. And the next deepest level of relationship that we have is family. In our time and culture, the word family has turned into kind of a fairly fluid word. It doesn't necessarily always mean the people you share common genetics with. For example, I have a brother and I have a sister. My sister lives in Washington, my brother lives in Kenosha. We talk to each other occasionally on Facebook, but I really don't have a lot of contact with them and I talk to my dad maybe twice a year. They are my family, of course. I share genetic bonds with them, but they're really not huge in my life. And for some people who have had more of a traumatic upbringing, often their friends can be more closer than those they share the bloodline with. Over the years, I've had many people tell me they feel much closer to their church family than they do their real family, just because of, of different things that have happened in their life. You see this in many of the studies that have gone on, of why kids join gangs. Well, kids join gangs because they don't have family at home. They don't have a, a mother and a father that is actively engaged in their life. And so they join this group of fellow people who are in that same situation, and they develop a family, albeit a kind of a dysfunctional family, but they develop a family within that gang. Family is the greatest level of emotional investment. And the difference between a friend and a family or an acquaintance is that when you lose a member of your family, that's going to cost the greatest emotional and spiritual trauma to a person. I've had quite a few friends and acquaintances over the years that have died, and while I did mourn their passing, it didn't stop my life like losing my mom or losing my grandparents. That's the big difference is that level of emotional commitment. So what happens when this storm of life hits you in your most vulnerable areas? those of your relationship, that, especially those friends and that family relationship. So the first questions you have to ask when the relationship storms hit and there's a fight between you and your loved one is this. Is this an eternal issue? Is this something that is going to mess with my relationship with God? Or is this just a preference? 
I mean, are you really going to end a relationship over if they're a Vikings fan or a Packers fan? Are we really going to end relationships if they vote Republican or Democrat? Are we really going to end relationships over a lot of these superficial issues? That's why 99% of the time the things that we fight over are not salvation issues. I would define that salvation issue or an eternal issue as by not standing firm in a conviction it would endanger a relationship with God if you started believing this way. Those are the hills worth dying on or ending relationships over because no one on this planet's worth going to hell for. But again, if we're honest, most of the relationship storms we encounter, most of the fighting we do, most of the arguments we get into are not about eternal issues. So what do you do when the people that you trust and most start saying hurtful things to you and start throwing those, those verbal rocks or those actions that really damage your world and rock your soul? I was listening to one of the pastors that I listened to. His name is Mark Driscoll, and he had a really good, um, a really good method of dealing with this. He was a, a megachurch pastor for many years, and so he was used to dealing with criticism. And he said, the way I deal with criticism is this. When people throw the rocks of accusation your way or do things to harm you, even if those people are your enemies, people you would consider your enemies, people that have no emotional investment and only want to tear you down, he said it's good to pick up that rock and look at it. And ask yourself these two questions. Number one, is what this rock contains true? Do I have a tendency to be, they call me arrogant. Well, do I have a tendency to be arrogant? They said I lied. Did I lie in this situation? They called me dishonest. Well, was I dishonest? Well, if, it is tr if it's true, then take it to heart and change and apologize. But if it's not true, throw it away. Now, if there's some truth to this, you go to your second question. Ask, is it helpful? If I face this truth and I apply it to my life, will it help me be a better person or help me to exhibit the nature of Jesus more fully to this world? If this question is yes, keep the rock and be thankful that they pointed it out regardless of their intent. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but sometimes the best wounds come from your enemies and they can contain the most truth. But you have to be honest with yourself of whether or not it's true. When it comes to hurtful words and actions, most people, particularly here in central Wisconsin where we live, don't go out of their way to be a jerk. Most people here are, are fairly friendly. And because I spent a lot of time in Hayward with my grandparents growing up, I thought I had a handle on small town living when I moved up here. I came from a city of 100,000. However, my first year here was very eye-opening and I had a lot of problems at work because people thought I was arrogant and people thought I was a jerk. And I, I didn't understand it. I'd always gotten along with my coworkers before and I came up here and all of a sudden now I'm not, I'm not getting along and people were going to the boss and saying that they hated me. <laughs> and I, I didn't understand it, I didn't get it. And I, I came to understand that it was because of the way I spoke to people. And I spoke to people the way I'd spoke to all my life. And I understood, I finally came to the realization that between city and rural, there's different ways of speaking. 
In a city, you are very blunt, you're very short, and you're very to the point all the time. All the time. And in, however, this manner of speaking where we live is considered very rude. And sitting down with my boss for my year review, he told me that some of the staff couldn't stand working with me. And I was surprised and hurt because I thought everybody liked me and nobody, that's the other thing is most people won't confront you about things. But he, and he told me, he said, if I had a critical patient to come in right now, you'd be the first person I'd want in that room because of your skill and knowledge. You'd also be the last person I'd want in that room because of your skill and knowledge. Because the team wouldn't work with you in the room. Because you'd be snapping at people of what they should be doing and, and different things like that. He said, you're great at your job, but not so great at communicating. And I really didn't know what to think about that until one of our social workers pulled me aside after a critical patient and counseled me a little. And she had been in there when I was doing patient care, and it was a critical patient, and I was involved in a very time-sensitive and very serious task of putting a breathing tube into somebody's trachea. And it's a very critical and, and time-sensitive thing, as I said, but it's also one that you either get it right or the patient dies. So if you mess this up, the patient will die. And so I am concentrating intently on what I'm doing, laser focus. And a family member asked me kind of a stupid question. And it was not even in topic. It was, it was so, I don't even remember what it was now, but apparently I had snapped back just in a very city, blunt, just, it wasn't nice. It was true, but it wasn't nice. And so she took me out of the room afterward and she said, she said, where did you come from before you moved up here? And I said, well, Kenosha. She goes, oh, that explains it. I'm like, what does that mean? Are like all people from Kenosha jerks? <laughs> and she said, no, Kenosha, sociologically speaking, is a suburb of Chicago. She said, people in Kenosha, we've seen to a, to a point, are more like people from Chicago than they are like people from Milwaukee or Wisconsin. And people from Chicago are just jerks to people from central Wisconsin. They don't know how to talk. They think everybody thinks they're a jerk. They're er they sound arrogant. And even though you don't sound like that, even though I know that's not your heart, that's what you sound like. And you have to really look at the way you talk to people. And so now I, I've learned to, to, if I have to say something and I don't know how to say it nice, I tell them, I said, well, I'm going to talk like, I'm going to use my city speak for a moment. I'll, I'll predicate it. And so I, I illustrate all this to tell you this. I finally understood the rocks that had been thrown at me from everybody. Is that it was both truthful and it was helpful, even though initially I didn't see that it was truthful. I thought they were just all crazy. And I use that as an example of taking a storm in a relationship and using it to allow... God to shape part of his character within us. Even though it was painful at the time, even though I didn't understand it at the time, I now can understand how that I can be better in the way I communicate with, with people. And we have to remember that oftentimes relationship storms are temporary. And they usually start over dumb things. Anybody who's been married for a while 
Have you ever gotten into a fight with your spouse? And you fight and you fight and you fight and it lasts for hours, sometimes days. And then by the time you're done with this fight, you look at each other, what were we fighting about in the first place? Yeah. You ever done that? I have. What, what was the initial thing that caused us to glare at each other for three days? Most of the time, it's really, really stupid things. And another rule I've learned to follow in life is this. Relational storms can often make us do stupid things and, do, and make stupid decisions that can be life-altering in the heat of the moment. So I've learned in my own life, never make a decision in the heat of the moment, especially when it comes to relationships. We really do ourselves and those around us a disservice when we make rash decisions about a relationship. And today we do that very easily. How many people have lost a Facebook friend over a politic thing? How many people have had a person not speak to you because people are just really today very sensitive about everything? And that's just not my city speak talking, that's just period. People are just looking for reasons to be offended today and ruin relationships over those things. We've become very thin-skinned. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be very, very measured in the things we stay and the things we stand for and the timing in which we stand for them in. Not everything needs to be corrected immediately, but let the Holy Spirit work on that person's life. Even those things that have eternal significance can be dealt with with love and charity. Everything in our lives should, should focus around what we have to do to re preserve that relationship, unless it comes to the point of messing up our relationship with God, which always takes priority. And that brings us to our next point, and it's a brief one because it's very simple. Remember to preserve the most important relationship. You always notice that when you're in a fight with somebody, your relationship with God will suffer. You ever been so angry with somebody and then you try to go through your morning devotions or daily devotions or whenever you do your prayer time and you try to pray while you're angry with somebody? It just it doesn't work out so well, does it? You can't have a heart of anger and hatred and, and hoping that God throws a lightning bolt their way and then pray to God for forgiveness for your own stuff. Your relationship with God is the most relationship important relationship you have, period. My last job, I had a, a friend and a, a co-worker. I, she wasn't my partner. But she, her and I would talk a lot, and she was into Wicca, which is kind of modern witchcraft. And I know it's a weird relationship for a pastor to have, somebody who's friends with somebody that's into Wicca. But we would have very interesting discussions about belief and faith. And some of the things that she would describe to me were just so out there and so illogical and, and everything like that. But I really had to hold my tongue through a lot of it. And she would invite me to come to some of her ceremonies. I'd invite her to come to church. And, and she um, said that she wanted me to come. I think it was one of the solstices. She wanted me to come. She said, you really need to experience this. You really need to come, and you really need to come. She goes, if you're my friend, you'll come. And I kind of had to make a decision there. I said, well, I'll always be your friend. I said, but 
I said, in my conviction, we are not supposed, in, in my faith, we're not supposed to have anything to do with witchcraft at all, period. And I would not feel comfortable coming to that. I said, I'd hate to lose our friendship over this, but I, I have to stand firm in this. And fortunately, in this case, we still talk, and, and she understood, but for a while she was a little hurt. But again, she was also appreciative that I stood up for what I believed. So that number one relationship always has to be placed in the front, but do so with kindness and gentleness. God is your primary relationship above all others. We're just supposed to guard that with everything in our being. And if we do that, the rest of our relationships will thrive. I say this before I go to our final point today, which is the cross shows us how far we should be willing to go to save our relationship. I often quote this scripture, I quoted it today while taking communion, because it encompasses the whole of what Jesus did for us. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse is a conclusion of a truth that the Apostle Paul was teaching us about God reconciling himself with his rebellious creation. And the final point I want to make is that as we close about the storms in our relationship is this, is that God did everything to save his relationship with us. Jesus, the most holy man ever to live on earth, it said became sin. We said it in Sunday school. It was like the cleanest person, most germophobic person on earth willingly went down to the sewage treatment plant and dove into the sewage for us. That is what that means. Jesus became that for you. He dove into all that so we don't have to. And Jesus is our example. He went and he died on that Roman cross to save the relationship between us and him. And since he's our example, we as his followers should be willing to do the same with our relationship.